Welcome to That's Awesome ID. My name is Leslie Early, and each week I will be speaking with a different guest and learning about one thing they think is awesome in the field of instructional design. Okay, today I have Emily Justin Shipinski with me today. Emily is the Director of Development and Innovation at, pardon my Spanish, I'm going to try my best, <laughs> at Red Saberes. And it's in this role that she has had to wear dual hats, part instructional designer and part marketing and business strategist, which is why we are going to talk about the crossover between these two roles today, the crossover between digital marketing and instructional design. So thank you so much for joining me today, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm excited to have you here. Um, do you want to take a couple of minutes before we jump in and maybe introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Emily Justin Chapinski, and I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I've lived in Chile for the last 15-something years. Uh, and I've been working in instructional design, specifically in e-learning, for sometime like 10 or 12 years or something like that. And uh, uh, it's just grown. And I feel like the the more that I've been in it, the more I see uh, how many different um, things are really related to instructional design, like marketing, for example, but also like sociology, which I also studied, um, and like graphic design, just, you know, communication strategy, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of crossover. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of people, I think, who are in instructional design now is like, there's no one career path to get here. And also like you, it, if you have lots of different skill sets like that, I think it's a career that you can use all of those different things all yeah. in one place. It's the yeah. ultimate career mashup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so basically, we're going to be talking about digital marketing and sort of how that how some of those best practices can also be um, used when you're working on instructional design projects. But I think people listening to this probably know what digital marketing is. We all sort of know what this is. But um, I just wanted to hear your definition of what you think this is and, and, and what that means to you, the term digital marketing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in a, in a business setting, it's definitely the strategic communication of the identity of your company. Um, but not, not unilaterally, not just like me coming out and saying like, yes, this is Red Saberdes and this is who we are. And, you know, just drink up all of that information about us, but rather like where you let people know who you are, but then also, and even more importantly, understand who your users and clients and people that follow you um, understand what they want and what they need and how they're communicating and how they're seeing you um, in this digital space. Yeah. So I, I mean, I am curious. So when you're handling like digital marketing and business strategy for your company that you're in right now, what is like for me, digital marketing, like the extent of my personal brand, digital marketing is like LinkedIn. That's like the only place I am. <laughs> so but what does that mean for your company? I'm just 
personally curious, like, where are you guys marketing and, and how's that working for you? Well, I mean, it, I think something that's really important to keep in mind is that like, so the first step before you get to any sort of posting on whatever social media you decide to use, um, the steps before that is really defining well, like who your public is, like who your target is, who you want to communicate with and understanding how they best communicate. And so Mm -hmm. right now, since we're just starting out, we're mainly focusing on LinkedIn, um, specifically for communicating with leaders in the education sector. And then for communicating with teachers, we're using Facebook. Um, and then we're also present on Twitter, mostly because most of the um, experts that we work with are most active in Twitter. And so we definitely like think um, first about the audience and how they they communicate with each other. And then we go where they are. Mm, and that makes a lot of sense. And that's exactly why I'm using LinkedIn is because this is where it's. Yeah. I mean, the podcast is to connect with other people in the industry. So and that's where all everyone is that I know exactly. of. Um, and you're so right about teachers being on Facebook. Like that's the big one, right? I also oh heard they're up on Facebook. Yeah. Teachers own that. <laughs> and I also heard from a friend recently that a lot of teachers are on Instagram these days. They are in anyway. TikTok. Really? Yeah, um, I've seen that too. So I had to take TikTok off my phone because it became um, addictive, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd be like, Oh, I'm just going to look a couple of videos. And then like three hours later, <laughs> like everyone else went to bed and I'm like in the dark by myself. <laughs> um, yeah, but definitely, definitely. They're super on Instagram, super on TikTok, definitely up on Facebook. Um, I like what you said that you were considering, not just where your audience is, but you sort of phrased it differently of like, you're paying attention to how they're already communicating and and trying to match that, which I think sort of lends itself to what we, I think we'll be talking about here. But, um, <laughs> um, so with that nice segue, um, let's talk about it. What are some of the best practices of digital marketing and how do those overlap with, you know, what we sort of all know to be instructional design best practices? So I think step one is, so when you're creating a digital marketing strategy, like I said, the first thing you have to do is like really go into uh, who are the people that I'm talking with and not just like your typical, like, I don't know, and young people, men and women from 25 to 35 that live in this like area code or whatever, like you need to like really go into um, what are their likes? What are their dislikes? um, What kind of information do they share? What kind of information do they, you know, demonstrate that they like, which is the good thing about social media is that all of that is like really measurable and trackable and uh, analyzable, if that's a word. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think like that is something that overlaps a lot with instructional design that like when you're going into it, you can't create anything. You can't create your first learning objective without really understanding how your users are going to be using the content that you're creating. But then also like, what is their context? So if I'm going to go in and I'm going to make a course for, um, 
mechanics that are between 40 and 60 years old, I have to think about, okay, probably um, they might not even have email. I mean, at least in the case down here. Um, And so I know that if this is going to be e-learning, for example, I need to use a platform that's really simple um, where they're not going to get lost in navigation. Um, You know, I'm I'm probably working with a user that mostly uses the internet on his phone. So I also need to make sure that the platform is like really apt for a mobile environment. Mm -hmm. All of those kind of details, it's the same thing. When I go into digital marketing, like I need to know... Do you want to see pictures of my kids? <laughs> do you want to right. see like um, statistics and the latest reports? When do you want to see that? Do you want to see the same thing on Friday that I showed you on Monday? You know, all of those kind of details are, is something that I really need to dive into before I go into a marketing strategy and before I go into course creation in order mm-hmm. to, uh, oh, what's the word? In order to really make sure that the entire construction of it is based around that user or that audience or that target. Yeah. And I I haven't released the episode yet, but I did just talk to Kate Udalova from Seven Taps because her platform's all about micro learning oh, and having that. Yeah. Have you have you checked out Seven Taps yet? No, but I'm going to as soon as look we it up. Sevencaps.com. <laughs> yeah, and um, and part of that conversation is that it can, uh, like thinking about what you're saying is that you know we have so many more options now than even like ten years ago when it was yes. like mostly storyline or yeah. powerpoints. Even or, five years ago. Yeah, and, and and now we're experiencing sort of like this renaissance of having so many different types of tools available. Yeah. And that can be overwhelming, but it's sort of um now that I think about it, it's parallel to Digital all the marketing. different social media channels yeah. that are available. And not yeah. even just social media, but uh, you know, internet versus Netflix versus you know, streaming yeah. versus broadcast yeah. and like all of the different channels of how we're getting information. The same thing's happening in e-learning. Like you just mm-hmm. have many different options. Exactly. And there's that's, so much overlap. It's not necessarily a bad thing because a micro-learning solution would be perfect, I think, maybe for these mechanics who are on their phone first and they just get like a link to a, a course. They don't need a password. They don't need anything. They just mm-hmm. show up and do it. Right. Exactly. Um, or like an SMS court, a court, like a phone messaging, text messaging course or something mm-hmm. like that might be perfect for that type of person. Exactly. That a, a typical e-learning would not be. So I really went on a tangent there, but I think it, it, <laughs> it matches exactly what you're, what you're talking about is that because we have so many options available now, that, um, work at the beginning of knowing who your user is, is really going to help you figure out what is the right tool to use to address this problem. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's like, it's the typical, I forget the, uh, what's it called? The seven habits of highly successful people. Mm-hmm. I believe one of the habits was like, start at the end. It comes up in all of these like production yeah. slash self-help books. But it's so true. Like start at the end, start at the, start at what success looks like and work your way back. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah. So I think that there are like three that are pretty important. One that actually occurred to me while we were just having this little side conversation um, is like the same tools. Like for example, our, our team is small, um, but we, we really need to be agile in our, in our course creation because we have a subscription model. And so we have to have like a pretty good bank of content regularly. That's like regularly mm-hmm. updated for that model to be attractive to our clients. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we've done is we started using Canva and beyond is the other one that we use regularly, mm-hmm. not for everything, but for a lot of stuff, but because that eliminates our need to have to depend on the graphic designers um, to, uh, I don't know, go in and like change some text or something like that. So there are super talented graphic designers go in and they make the design. And then if we have to go in and change copy or, you know, eliminate a slide or something like that, it's really easy for us to go in and do that. And so it really reduces our development time. But those are the exact same tools that your people are using to make their content for Instagram, make their content mm-hmm. for Facebook, you know, make their um, digital like company explainer videos. It's the exact same thing. And then like another point is, so like there's some sort of, there's like a statistic out there. I'm not sure. I read it in the the book, The Focus Project by Eric Qualman. So good. So good. Mm-hmm. Read it. Mm-hmm. Um, that talks about, he's the, he's the guy that wrote uh, digital or, or no, social nomics. He was like one of the first people that started to talk about social media as like, hey, this isn't like just for the kids. Like this is like the next step in advertising. And then Mm -hmm. two years later, everyone was like, you know, doling out like a thousand dollars to go to like conferences and like really quick learn how to use social media for their advertising. Um, So anyway, it's that over the last 10 years, the average attention span has been reduced like by two or three seconds. And I think it's now it's like seven seconds. And that's something that digital marketers always have really present, you know, like you are never going to see on Instagram, like a seven minute long advertisement for something because no one's going to pay attention to it. They'll pay attention for three seconds and then like they'll move on to the next shiny thing. But that's the same thing that they're doing in your e-learning course. Like when they're in your platform, they're in a digital environment, you know, and like their brain isn't necessarily like differentiating between like, this is something that I need to pay more attention to for a longer period of time. Like they're just looking at a screen and thinking about like that interesting TikTok video that they want to watch. Right. And so (laughs) like when you make your content, you have to bring it up to the same visual level and the same attention level as you would for any sort of digital marketing. I mean, you can't limit all videos in e-learning to, you know, five seconds or something like that. (laughs) But I mean, definitely I, I see like the industry average going down in terms of videos. Like even five years ago, when you would go into like courses, especially from universities, it would be like, and now here's a professor speaking at a camera for 45 minutes, sitting at his desk with no animation whatsoever. And it was painful. It's Mm -hmm. painful, you know? And so when you think about, okay, I need, I need for this to look visually attractive, just like something is going to look on Instagram. Um, I need there to be animations and things that are resetting that brain so that they keep paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I need to keep it short. 
You know, if it's a video, you need to keep it to two or three minutes. If you have 10 minutes of content, do 10 minutes of content, but do 10 minutes of content in four or five videos that you're breaking up, you know, and like definitely too. So like in digital marketing, you have to take advantage of the brain resets. And so, you know, it's like when you're showing something and you change a color, your brain's like, Hey, pay attention to that. There's a change there. Look at it. You know, like you need to be doing that also in your content constantly. Like just imagine every seven seconds, they're trying to drift away and you've got to bring them back. Mm. And also like I, I've, I've definitely done my own graphic design. Um, and I think that it's, it's, fine. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, when, if you have the opportunity to use graphic designers, use graphic designers. Cause like, holy crap, can they do it way better than someone that is, does not have that skill set. (laughs) Agreed. Even with all the tools in the world. And, and that is why like tools like Canva, I think are really amazing and yeah. beyond. I mean, uh, they have some really great templates in there. And even if you are not the best designer, you can kind of fake it, <laughs> but <Yeah>. um, <laughs> just like, yeah, just don't change the template too much and you should be okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think you make a lot of really good points and I did want to go back, back up to your use of Canva and beyond And having your graphic designer, that's really clever to have them essentially be, those tools are great because everything's in the cloud, right? So like if you have a team account or whatnot, or if you just share a login or however you do it, um, that's a great way to stay consistent is to have someone else do the design work and then have everyone else be able to be pulled from that, being able to pull from that. Yeah. And it is like really impressive to me. I think like, I'm just not a very aesthetic person. Like if you could, thank God this is a podcast, but (laughs) that would be very apparent. Like, I just don't have that, you know, like I know people that they just like magically like decorate their living room and it's like really cute. And it looks like a Ikea ad or whatever. And I just like, Mm -hmm. I don't have that in my DNA. And I'm always like really impressed by, I don't know, like I can make videos and beyond and they're, they're functional and they're going to, you know, get the job done. But then the, the graphic designer will come in and she'll add just like two little things and it like totally changes the way that it looks and it totally changes the experience, you know? And I'm like, how do you do that? They stay practice and study. I think (laughs) that's the key. Um, yeah, it is. It's a very, very in-demand skill set to have. Um, so I think we've already talked a little bit about the importance of holding your learner's attention, like, or first of all, grabbing your learner's attention, Step keeping one. your learner's attention while, throughout the, you know, because they are competing with, you know, social media, mm-hmm. Netflix, whatever else they can see yeah, on a screen any, that's nearby. Shiny. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say then to um, better support your learners? Like, how can we better support our learners from like customer service type of, you know, what if mm. they're, what if they're having difficulty? Like, what if this mechanic is overwhelmed by the technology 
you know, that they're mm-hmm. trying to access the course through. How do you, what are some tips you have for those types of situations? Yeah. Well, I think that there also, like, there's a lot of overlap between, um, like, customer experience models and client experience models and, uh, like, administrative models in e-learning. So, like, I've actually done a lot of research on user retention, and the biggest thing is having a person behind the course. So, like, mm-hmm. I know that it's it's really tempting to automate communication because it's easier, you know, right. and because it's cheaper. Um, but it's also apparent, you know. I mean, like, yeah. I know everyone has had like the experience as a, a customer, for example, of trying to contact a company because you need an answer on something and like you cannot get to a person and it's Mm -hmm. frustrating. It's frustrating. Um, and so in our like most successful user retention models, there's a person and that person calls you and within the first week of your course, and they call you at least one other time during the course. And just the impression in a one or two minute conversation of, Hey, I'm a real person. And I'm here whenever Mm -hmm. you need me. Um, And I'm also following you in this course. Mm -hmm. I mean, not in a creepy way, but like Mm -hmm. if you, if you don't go in there and do that, like someone notices, you know, and not like an automated mail, but it's like that. It's almost like your mom or like someone that knows your mom is like, "Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see you haven't been in the course for two weeks. Like, what have you been up to? And they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, But then I think also like on a corporate level, that really helps too, because so for example, if you've got, um, I don't know, you're selling a a course on customer experience or whatever, or digital marketing, whatever it might be. And you sell that course to a company, that company wants like the best possible ROI, you know, like they want to know, okay, I paid 500 bucks a person or however much it is for this. And I want to make sure that as a result of this, like we're getting out of it, what we need to get out of it. When you can like proactively go to that client and say, uh, you know, look, 30% of the people that are enrolled in this course, um, have fallen behind, but this is why it's because Mm -hmm. like they, uh, um, I don't know, they, they're all just starting with a new something, something, or they're in the middle of a, of a campaign and they just can't, or it's the end of the month and they have to like close their deals or whatever. So what I'm going to suggest is like for that 30%, let's pause and restart in two weeks. Yeah. Clients are really impressed by that because like one, you're concerned about their money and their investment. And two, it shows that like you're really putting in the effort to um, make sure that the program is successful and students really notice it. Yeah. You know, I almost feel like what you're talking about now, as far as like user retention models could almost be like its own up. Now I'm like super curious. I'm like, Oh, that could be a whole other episode someday, (laughs) but uh, we just barely scratched the surface, but it makes a lot of sense that, um, yeah, it it does sound like you would come across as very, um, accountable to your client. Um, because not only do you show that you care about their ROI, but you're also showing that you're willing to do the little bit of legwork, to mm-hmm. engage with the the learners, the users, and exactly. get that data, get that like qualitative data of like 
hey, why aren't you doing this? And having them give you an actual answer that makes sense in the real world rather than just like this exactly. quantitative data that you have to interpret. And like, we don't really like, okay, it's just a bunch <clears throat> of numbers. And like, what does that really mean? Yeah. Um, so wow, that's, that's yeah. great. Like and I like, said, that could be a whole scared. nother episode. Oh, girl, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I could go talk ahead. all night about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like people also get scared about that kind of model, you know, cause they're like, Oh, we, we have to have this huge staff and it's actually not true. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like you do, like you make the calls at the beginning, you make a call like during the course, but like, one percent of these people are actually like going to WhatsApp you. And in general, like you can resolve like 90 percent or 95 percent of their issues like within five minutes, you know. Yeah. And so it has like a really big impact. But like the effort, it's not that much. It's not mm-hmm. that much. You just need to have a human there. And then the, yeah. the other thing is also. So like, I mean, you can't sit down and write like a personal email to every single participant in a program, obviously. And like, you have to have email blasts and, you know, you're going to want to use some sort of mass email service or whatever. Um, But another thing to do there is like semi-automated, right? And Mm -hmm. so like, if you, if you're administering a program um, and in every single mail, you put some sort of message that shows that you've been, um, you know, just like going into the platform, looking at how people are doing. If you bring up like a common mistake that people were making, or if you congratulate people, just something that shows that, you know, there's, there's someone behind that again, that there's someone behind that that's paying attention to what's going on. All those like little details really go a long way in retaining users for the entirety of a program. And that makes a lot of sense because social accountability is a big deal. Peer pressure is. is a big deal, right? And so it sounds like w- with the semi-automating, it sounds like what you're saying is to personalize it, even if you're personalizing it for the entire class or exactly. for the entire cohort. Like you don't have to personalize it individually, but at least say, hey, in this specific group, we have noticed A, B, or C, and then it makes them realize, oh, this is not a robot. <laughs> that's exactly. a chat box that's like ta- talking to me right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really cool. Um, yeah, lots to think about. So, like I said, these it, it almost turned into two separate topics here that are both very rich. I can tell and very mm-hmm. interesting. But um, if people wanted to continue the conversation on either the digital marketing aspect or the or the uh, user retention aspect. Where, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn regularly. Emily Justin Shapinsky. It's Justin like Justin Bieber or Justin mm-hmm. Timberlake, depending on your generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Justin Shapinsky on LinkedIn. And then I also have a personal website that's E-M-J-U-S-T-I-N-S-Z-O-P-I, I think, <laughs> dot com. Um, and then the uh, website for our company is cursos.redsaverdes.com also. Okay. Those are my digital spaces. Sounds good. Well, thank you again, Emily, so much for coming and sharing a little bit of your insight about this. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast and I nerd out on it all the time and oh, recommend it to my DI friends. 
Oh, thank thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks.